in the time that we spoke, that I spoke with Susanna, she actually published a book just in her spare time. Because um, Susanna, you you actually have a large family, don't you? And uh, you guys have been in caregiving for some time now. We have. We've um, we started doing it when we lived in Christchurch, and we've been yeah a few, a few years um, doing it here in Gisborne as well. So it's been a huge blessing for our family. Yeah. The um, subject that I've asked Susanna to speak into is largely around her awesome book. It is beautiful and beautifully written. And um, there's a whole lot of special women in this book, and she's going to share some of those stories, and she's got some images too. Um, And I just wanted to honour your giftedness as a mother, as an author, authoress, and a great Zumba teacher. And... uh, you know what, she brings happiness into many spaces in this community. And even in, our, even in our little Zumba class, it's like the Holy Spirit is all over it. I, there's joy that emanates from this woman. Let me just pray for you and we'll kick in there. Yeah, Father, I do um, honour your daughter, your special, uh, chosen, uh, favoured child. We thank you that she's chosen to dedicate her talents to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So you've um, probably no surprises then about what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Um, I wanted to start with this beautiful photograph of these three young brides and their flower girls. And as I said, probably no surprises. Things aren't quite the way they seem in this photograph. These three girls are brides who never became wives They're mothers who never gave birth. They're women who waited on God, listened to his voice, discerned his call on their lives, and followed his direction. So with that image on the screen, and that sort of riddle, with the clues to its solution in our minds, I want to read from Matthew 19, verses 16 to 28. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, and love your neighbour as yourself. Well, all these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. That's such a well-known story, isn't it? With such simple yet powerful imagery. The rich young man with all his wealth, all his positions, and he just can't put them down. And the disciples, sort of, I imagine them kind of hovering in the background and piping out, what about us? We listened, we followed. Um, And then Jesus reassuring them, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So this morning, this special morning celebrating mothering, I want to use these women and their stories to focus our eyes on the scripture, to think deeply about what it means to seek God's voice and wait on his direction, and to ask ourselves what is entailed in responding to his voice, what it means to do the work of love, to follow his direction. So those three girls who we saw earlier, they followed Jesus to the convent. There they are, same three girls, Valerie, Judith Ann, and Joan are their names. Both these pictures were taken on the same day, before and after they took religious vows. Beforehand, they were dressed as brides to symbolize the commitment that they were making to Christ. Then they changed into their habits, made their vows, and received religious names. From then on, Valerie would be called Sister Mary Antoninus, Judith Ann was Sister Mary Magdalene, and Joan was called Sister Diana Mary. These three young women became part of the New Zealand Congregation of Dominican Sisters, which is part of the International Dominican Order, which in turn is part of the wider Catholic Church. The New Zealand Congregation was founded in 1871 when a group of ten nuns came out from Ireland to run schools for the mostly Irish Catholics in Dunedin. The congregation grew and eventually there were convents and Dominican schools up and down the country from Bluff right up to Auckland. And from the 1870s right up until the 1960s, when these young women took their vows, the nuns lived a medieval life. And it's not just a turn of phrase or an exaggeration, it was a medieval life. The Dominican order was established in Spain at the start of the 13th century and nothing had really changed since then. There we go. So you can see in this photo that the clothes they wore, their habit, was essentially a medieval garment. The Latin that they're singing in the chapel was the same music that Dominican sisters had sung for centuries. And the passion of their daily life was medieval. So they rose at 5.30 in the morning, started the day with prayers and meditation and gospel readings, and then followed a very strict timetable. Every waking moment of their day was occupied from the moment they rose until 10 o'clock when the lights went off for everybody at the same time. They observed strict silence, so there was no speaking at all unless necessary, so that their hearts and minds could be totally occupied with God. Now some of you will have heard of the Second Vatican Council, during which the Catholic Church deliberately opened the doors of the Vatican to let the breath of the Spirit flow through the Church. The 1960s saw huge change in the Catholic Church as they sought to follow the Spirit, to update those medieval institutions and ideas and respond to the needs of the modern world. 
So the life that these women signed up for when they entered the convent changed radically during the 1960s and 1970s. And as a group, the New Zealand Dominican sisters sought God's leading every step of the way. There was a lot of pain and heartache as they let go of the old, a lot of sacrifice, and a huge amount of prayer and study and reflection as they wrestled with the new. But within quite a short period of time, they were transformed from this to, wait for it, to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that probably looks a lot more familiar to a lot of you. Um, they went from living together in large convents with high walls, which were totally cut off from the outside world, to living in small flats and houses dotted around our neighbourhoods. They went from following a regimented medieval pattern of daily prayer and worship to writing their own worship music, crafting their own liturgies, and developing their own individual styles of prayer. They went from all working as teachers in Dominican schools to following God's call into all kinds of varied ministries, higher education, mission work in Vanuatu, peace and justice work, ecology, psychology, spiritual direction, art, poetry, all kinds of areas. So as Shah said, um, I'm a historian by training and I spent several years researching and writing a history for the sisters. Um, in some ways, I wasn't a very obvious choice for them as the person to write their history. I'm not Catholic. I'm a sort of young-ish, maybe. <laughs> young-ish woman with young children. Then my life looks very different from theirs. Yet they gave me the gift of a genuine invitation. They invited me into their homes, into their stories, into their lives. And they valued and respected the fact that I was bringing fresh eyes and a fresh perspective to their stories. And I think at the same time, that's what their stories offer us here today. The chance to bring fresh eyes and fresh perspective on this familiar old story from Matthew about the rich man and his conversation with Jesus. So I've chosen four sisters to introduce you to. And I'm going to mostly just let their stories speak for themselves. With that scripture sort of settling in our hearts and that riddle the brides who never became wives and the mothers who never gave birth, just at the top of our minds as well. So the scripture and that sort of, um, that idea as well. So first up, this is Mother Mary Gabriel Gill. She led the first group of Dominican sisters who travelled out from Ireland to New Zealand. And before she became Mother Gabriel, she was Victoria Gill, the eldest daughter of a wealthy Dublin brewer. When she was 15... Her parents took her on a tour of Europe to introduce her to fine society. Almost immediately, she had a suitor, and then when she got home to Dublin, a marriage proposal. Her parents were keen for her to accept the match, but Victoria had other plans. In the middle of winter, in the middle of the night, in Dublin, she ran away to join the Dominican nuns. And this is her words writing about it. The ground covered with snow, thickly frozen, I fled from my home and all I loved for him who called me to be his spouse. Now, I've got a 15-year-old daughter, as I said, and it's very hard for me to imagine her in either of those situations, considering marriage or running away to become a nun. So, in 1870, when Mother Gabriel was only 33 years old, 
She was appointed as leader of the mission to New Zealand. It took them over five months to get here by sea, and two days after they landed in New Zealand, they started teaching. Within a month, between the ten of them, so ten sisters, they were running two fee-paying primary schools, one for girls and one for boys, a free school for poor children, and a girls' high school. After hours, after school hours, the nuns took private music lessons and classes in art, painting, flower work, needlework, and languages to help pay the bills. And in between all this, they maintained all the rules and regulations and observed all the prayers and devotions of Dominican religious life. It was a very full, very strict life. The nuns sacrificed personal autonomy. They sacrificed their families who they left behind. They sacrificed friendships and future possibilities. But as one nun from that time described her role as a teacher, what an honour to be permitted to train little souls for heaven. So Mother Gabriel was a mother figure to the nuns and the school students in her care. She was also a gifted administrator and a visionary. Just over 10 years after the sisters arrived in Dunedin, she established a new convent in Invercargill, then another one in Queenstown, then Omaru. And by the turn of the century, there were convents and Dominican schools dotted all over Southland and Otago, a little mini empire. Not one to sit back and rest. In 1899, at the age of 62, she led a group of New Zealand sisters to establish a new Dominican mission in remote Western Australia, where she lived until her death in 1905 at the age of 68. She lived a remarkable life full of adventure and blessing, but she also experienced sickness and sorrow. She knew the meaning of sacrifice, and she knew that her response to God's call involved a sacrifice which was not hers alone. Her mother died 10 years after Gabriel had left for New Zealand. And of course, there was nothing like the instant communication that we take for granted. When she heard the news several months afterwards, her main concern was for her father. And these are her words. My poor, desolate father, who is now alone. Of 13 children, I am the only survivor. And separated from him as far as distance on this globe permits. I do not regret this, trying as the thought is sometimes to nature. I rather thank God that he gave me the grace and good sense to abandon for his love my sunny, happy home while it was full of attractions, instead of waiting until I should have few or no sacrifices to make for him. By anyone's measure, she was an extraordinary woman. Having turned down life as the wife of an Irish gentleman, she passed up a comfortable life running her own household, raising her own family. But she's gone down in history as mother of the missions. This is a poem written by one of her students. Oh, she is mother of the mission, all her children call her so, first and bravest of the brave nuns who have taught us God to know. At a time when women in Ireland and New Zealand only left home to marry and married women didn't work, she was a single woman managing a large multi-sided organisation with a range of revenue streams and significant financial responsibilities. But first and foremost, she was an educationalist who believed strongly in the value of education for girls and for women. Contrary, perhaps, to our 21st century perceptions and assumptions, entering the convent 
freed her to live a life far more adventurous than she might have lived as a Dublin housewife and allowed her to make the most of skills and talents which might otherwise have remained untapped. And following God's call, she stepped into a radically different role and identity than her parents had hoped for their daughter. But in doing so, she became the woman she was created to be and laid full claim to her identity as a child of God and a mother to many. Next up, this gorgeous pair, probably not as easy to see, is um, Cecily Sheehy with the guitar and um, Gertrude Fox. And you can tell that it's after Vatican II, so there started to be some flexibility for the sisters in terms of what they wear, what they wore. So Cecily had started wearing just civvies, normal secular clothing, and Sister Gertrude carried on wearing um, a sort of modified version of the habit until she died just a couple of years ago. Sister Gertrude was born Phyllis Fox, and she was a very devout little girl. She described herself to me as a very devout little girl. She used to go with her father every morning to Mass at Christchurch Cathedral. And, um, and these are her words. This is the way she described it. Love of the Mass set up a personal relationship for me with the Lord. She told me that she remembered the exact moment that she decided to become a nun. She was on a bus in Invercargill at a corner where there was a shoe store. Other people on the bus were chattering away and she just had this quiet moment. Something happened and this is her words again. It seemed to be so inconsequential in a way, you know. I thought, I wanted to do more with my life than that. So everything else sort of melted away and she just knew that that's where she was called to go. So she entered the convent. She was very clever, really bright, and it was originally planned that she would go on to the university and do studies in languages so that she would become the language teacher at the high school. But in the end, the nun in charge of commercial studies fell sick, and Sister Gertrude, who was still a teenager herself, so she hadn't had any teacher training, she hadn't had any higher education at all, um, she stepped in, she filled in. It was the holidays, and they, um, the class was up to exercise 89. So they said, by the end of the holidays, you need to be up to exercise 90. Um, and that was that. From there, she became a typing and shorthand teacher, and she went where she was needed. She responded to that need. When I met her, Sister Gertrude was living in Calvary Residential Home in Invercargill. And for her, the rest home was a mission field. Jesus was part of her daily conversations in the common room, in the hallways, in the dining rooms with residents and staff. At 91, she was still volunteering as a phone counsellor for Lifeline. She'd specially had a phone put into her room so that she could be on duty. She did three days a week, 24-hour cycles, where she was answering the phone to anything. Um, From the time she was a little girl, she said that prayer was at the heart of everything. When she talked to me about not having a husband, not having children, not having grandchildren, she said that God had given her prayer as her great love. And these are her words now. I feel my vocation at 91 is as it has always been. It's been a personal relationship between God and myself, and that you can take with you anywhere. So next up, I want to introduce you to Sister Judith Ann. I know that you can't see the the picture very well, but she's a woman with true presence. She sort of glows, and when you're talking with her, she's got the gift of deep connection, so you feel 
known and understood and seen and loved. Judith Ann was born the third of seven children in a very close family. As a teenager, she felt that God was calling her to religious life. So at 16, she applied to join a missionary order of sisters. She was accepted and all set to go when she had a profound spiritual experience. God gave her a vision and told her that he wanted her to join the Dominicans. She was 19 when she entered the convent, and even speaking to me as a 70-year-old, the grief of leaving her family was still very real. The whole family, parents and six siblings, all dropped her off at the convent, all of them crying. Judith Ann said she thought her mother's heart would break. It was really like a death in the family because even though they could still write once a fortnight and they could visit her in the visitor's parlour once a month, she was lost to them in that deeply intimate way that they'd known her as daughter and sister. Her little sister Jerry turned six the day after Sister Judith Ann entered and she still says that it was the worst day of her life. In that first photo that we saw of the brides and their flower girls, um, that was Judith Ann in the middle, and the little flower girl is the wee sister, Jerry. Judith Ann found the busy timetable in the convent challenging, but she loved the prayerful rhythm of daily life. She felt a sense of belonging, commitment, and intimacy with God. Like most of the Dominicans, Sister Judith Ann trained as a teacher, and eventually she became a principal. Later on, she trained as a spiritual director, and she spent time working in Rome. And when I got to know her, she was living in a Dominican community in Dunedin with another Dominican sister, a Mercy sister, a Dominican priest, and a lay couple. It was sort of like an open house of prayer. So every morning the household gathered for meditation, prayer, gospel reading, and sharing, and that was open to the wider community. So the household um, held that together, but there were people who came and went from their own homes. And then again in the evening the same thing happened. Judith Ann was still seeing people for spiritual direction, and she was also volunteering at the op shop down the road and also at the prison. All the members of the community had their own work which they were involved in, but prayerful contemplation was the bedrock of all their ministries. This um, photo shows Sister Judith Ann with Helen, who was a neighbour, a student from Malaysia who used to come over to the Dominicans for English lessons. So the changes that happened after the Second Vatican Council have allowed the sisters to be part of their families' lives in a way that they couldn't be at the time when Judith Ann entered. So when she celebrated 50 years as a Dominican sister, she marked the occasion with her family, spending some time at the beach with her siblings and their spouses. She's got a wall in her bedroom, um, which is just smothered, it's massive, smothered in photos of her grandies. She calls them her grandies, all her siblings, children, and grandchildren. And she talks about them with all the pride and love of a great aunt who knows them intimately. She's got one little grandie who comes for regular sleepovers at the convent. The Judith Ann is a woman who acknowledges the pain and suffering, the losses she's experienced in her life. But looking back and seeing God's direction and his tender mercies, she says it has all become joy. On to the last woman. So this next beautiful woman is Sister Patty McCann. Never in my life have I met a more motherly woman. 
Patty didn't have an easy childhood. Her father died when she was young and she and her siblings were scattered. Eventually they went back to live with their mum and her new husband, but it was a tough life with a lot of drinking and not much money. Home was hard, but church was safe. Patty loved the nuns who taught her at secondary school, and by the time she came to her final year, she knew that she wanted to join them. When I asked her to describe her call to the convent, she found it really difficult to put it into words, but this is what she said. It was about God taking care of me in a different kind of way, putting that yearning in my heart somewhere I wanted to be. So there were lots of adjustments to make when she entered. She found the silence really difficult. It's really hard for us to imagine the silence. She even got told off for walking too loudly. (laughs) But the prayer time and singing together and reading the scriptures, she loved. And training and working as a teacher deepened her relationship with God even further. And describing Jesus to her children as their very best friend who was always with her, she found that he was always with her. Patty worked for many years at the Dominican School for the Deaf in Fielding. It was a boarding school, and children came as young as two and a half um, because they had no means to communicate with their families. So the nuns weren't just their teachers, they became their families as well. Sister Patty and the others were responsible for the children every hour of the day. The cuddles when they woke in the morning, breakfast, for lessons, playtime, dinner time, bath time, dinner time, bed... Patty also did nursing training so that she could care for the children when they were ill. And more recently, she's been responsible for caring for the older sisters. Prayer still underpins everything. She describes her private morning prayer time as gold, grounding her for the day ahead. And she also still really values the corporate prayer time that she has with other Dominican sisters. Now, Shah sort of um, spoke briefly that from the time I started working for the sisters until the book came out. Um, There's a lot going on in life, as there is for everybody, but in that space of time, um, I lost my father-in-law, my father and my mother-in-law. I had two babies and added extra babies in along the way to the family, so there were lots of losses and um, lots of blessings as well. And Patty walked alongside me, prayed alongside me every step of the way showing me where things were in the archives, making sure I had the heater turned up high enough, texting words of love and encouragement, and always honouring truth, making sure that the hard stories were told as well as the good stories. She um, has been especially close to our little Francesca, so I was just pregnant with Francesca, who um, is eight now, when I started working for the sisters. And Francesca spent quite a bit of time in a porticot in the convent archives, And when she was just tiny, Patty would hold her so tenderly, taking nothing for granted. She'd always whisper, thank you, before she passed her back. Not thank you to me, but thank you to Francesca. She was acknowledging a gift of love, the presence of God in a cuddle. The Dominican motto is to contemplate and to share the fruits of contemplation. So to contemplate and share the fruits of contemplation with others. To me, that phrase captures the heart of these women's stories. On a day when we come together to honour the sacrifices and celebrate the joys of motherhood, these women are a reminder that we are all called to the work of love, 
We're all called to seek God's face and to respond to prayer and to action, to contemplation and to ministry. In our scripture from Matthew, we see the rich young man approach Jesus and ask him for guidance. We see the disciples in relationship with Jesus and Peter in conversation with him. And that's what Patty and Judith Ann are doing when they prioritize prayer and contemplation in their lives. They're listening for God's voice. It seems like such a basic, but I think we all need reminding in the middle of our busy lives to pause, to find peace in the midst of domestic chaos, grace in our daily work and routines, to wait on God, to seek his face and listen for his direction. Jesus gave the rich young man very clear directions. Sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. The rich young man couldn't make the sacrifice. Matthew tells us that he went away sad. Mother Gabriel, Sister Gertrude, Sister Judith Ann and Sister Patty sacrificed a lot to follow God's voice. This is the most recent photo that I've got of the Dominicans as a group. You probably can't see very well, but there's a lot of beaming faces there. We don't see in this photo the children and the grandchildren who aren't there. We see joy and fulfillment, women who have both given and received abundantly. Contemplation's quite trendy, really, these days. We hear lots about mindfulness, for example, but there's nothing trendy at all about sacrifice. It's entirely countercultural. <laughs> we live in a society that tells us more, 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 more. And we've been raised to think we can have it all and then some. But if we intend not just to listen for God's voice, but to follow his directions, we must be prepared for sacrifice. And when we make the sacrifice, when we give up our time, our career, when we give up control and do the mahi, something miraculous and transformative happens. Our work becomes ministry whether it's waking in the night to a teething toddler, making a meal for a neighbour while you give your own children eggs on toast, reaching out to a colleague who seems out of sorts perhaps, supporting overseas missions, volunteering at the hospice shop, coaching a football team, following God's call to move cities or jobs to be where you're needed. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. I want to leave you with this last picture of this special group of women who have given up so much to mother so many. They're praying together here in community. They're motivated and sustained in the work of love through prayer and through each other. In our scripture from Matthew, we get a a glimpse of the community Jesus had gathered around him, of the way they engaged with him, of the way he encouraged them. And that's what's happening here. We meet, pray, study, praise together to shore each other up for the work of love in our homes and in our communities. I think an appropriate response really now is if you would just have a moment of silence and you might like to just hold hands with the people in your row even and and that act just like in this picture where they've joined hands and they're just praying or praising 
and just have some time to contemplate the Lord's goodness, to consider what his word is to you from this message today. Dear Jesus, we acknowledge you are worthy of it all. Whatever you have lain on our hearts to commit afresh to you, whatever that fresh download of love and grace, you're so worthy, Lord. You're worthy of it all. We say as with one voice that we love you and it is an honour to serve you and to know you and to be known by you. Amen.